The numbers vary from agency to agency and can be affected by the time of day. But I'd estimate that somewhere between 20 and 40% of all 911 calls are false in one way or another. By false, I mean mostly what we call butt dials. Someone with their phone in their pocket or purse and the magic combination of button presses makes your phone dial 911. Others are people in corporate offices trying to dial 9 on their phone system to get an outside line, then trying to dial 1 for a long distance number, and they hit it twice by mistake. 911. Moving past those mistaken calls, your next biggest type of calls, they're going to be the routine style. Your wrecks, your reckless drivers, your simple thefts, etc. Then you'll have the routine medical calls. Someone wanting an ambulance for standard reasons like someone passing out or breathing problems. Then you get into the less frequent calls. Shootings, stabbings, armed robberies, things like that. While in big cities you'll have one or more of those calls daily compared to the hundreds of traffic collisions you would get, the frequency of those, they just aren't even comparable. If you read the title of this episode, Assorted Craziness, I suppose you have an idea of what this episode will be about. I've said numerous times on the show that we never know what kind of incident we'll be involved with when we answer the phone. We're not psychics. If we were, we'd certainly not be dispatchers. If you're going to try to equate these calls to the wealthiest people in the world, they would be on par with Bill Gates, Elon Musk, and Jeff Bezos. These types of calls rank in that .0001%. Most dispatchers can go their entire career and never be involved in something like these. In the past episodes, I've played other calls that are not your norm, and these are no different, but possibly even more rare. Welcome back to Music City 911. The first call we'll listen to, I'm going to issue a bit of a warning. It's very difficult to listen to, not just in audio quality, but also because of the situation and the emotions going on while this is happening. This is one of the more grueling calls I've ever heard. I do generally play the full calls because I want you to feel what the dispatcher might have been feeling during that time, and I'll do the same with this one, even though it is a little bit of a longer call. 901 recorded line. What is your emergency? Police, fire, or medical? Medical, please. What do you need? You need the police? No, I need ambulance. My girlfriend's choking. Your girlfriend shot you? No, she's choking to death. Okay, what's the address? 52 Chatsworth What is she choking on? No idea. She's pouring the house. She what? Pouring at the house. Open the Do you know the Heimlich? <laughs> what is your name? Yes, I'm choking her out. Come out. She won't respond. What's the phone number? Five three nine two four four three. Is she breathing at all? No, she's not breathing. She's just choking behind me. All right, the ambulance is on its way. Jake, Jake. How old is she? 
She's 31 years old. Okay. She won't open her mouth. She won't open her mouth? She's sneezing. She's sneezing? She's not breathing. Okay, she's not breathing. Okay. All right, what was she choking on? I can't hear you because you had a speakerphone. She's peeing her pants now. Okay. What was she choking on? I don't know. Okay, you need to calm down, okay? The ambulance is on its way. Okay. Where is she? In the bathroom? No, she's on the kitchen floor. She's on the kitchen floor? Yeah. Okay. Does she take any medications or anything? I have no idea. She got, okay, okay. I have no idea. Can you, can you, don't do this to me, can you? Can you, can you breathe? Is she breathing? I can't tell. You can't tell? Her tongue is swollen. Her tongue is swollen? Ugh. <sighs> Lips are blue? Yes, they are. She's got to go away there. Does she have a history of seizures? We have no idea. You have no idea. Hey, hey, hey. Do you think she took anything? No. Well, we, I don't know. You know, it's going to go here right away. Brent. What? Is that her? 
making that noise? That's she's not trying to break into her. She what? I can't hear you. I'm trying to break, I'm trying to give her CPR, but she's not responding. You're trying to give her CPR? She's barely... She said she was choking on something. She's choking on something. And she's barely, like, she's barely breathing here. Kate. Kate. Please do a CPR, Bill. Kate. Kate. Don't go, Kate. Don't. No, Kate. No. Kate. Kate. <laughs>
Later in the night, Brent awoke to an empty spot where Catherine was. After hearing a noise, he got up to see what was going on. He found her in obvious distress and saw a marshmallow with a large bite taken out of it laying on the floor close by Catherine. He called 911 using the speakerphone function of his phone, and he heard what happened next, a 12-minute long call. Unfortunately, with as much time that had passed as well as other factors, Catherine wasn't able to be resuscitated. She was 39 years old. There were problems with this call, and at least some of them can be attributed to dispatch. The dispatcher in this failed to follow protocol that was part of her duties at the Barnstable County Sheriff's Department in Massachusetts. She, like a lot of dispatchers, even when this happened back in 2010, was considered a dispatcher with emergency medical dispatch certification. With this distinction comes requirements to follow a certain level of questioning as well as pre-arrival instructions. A good example would be if someone is actively in labor and about to give birth to the child immediately, an emergency medical dispatcher would be tasked with giving instructions over the phone to help birth the baby while paramedics are en route. On this case, there were things that should have happened while help was on the way. First, after obtaining the address, a general bit of patient information needs to be gathered. The age of the patient, asking if the patient's awake, and asking if they're breathing. Then, when it was found out that the patient was not breathing because of choking, instructions on how to properly do the Heimlich maneuver should have been given and, if that wasn't effective, further instructions on how to give CPR should have been relayed. This dispatcher simply asked if the caller knew how to do it. That isn't enough. Going from language used back and forth in the call, we have no way of knowing if his efforts were being done correctly. And being she's choking on a marshmallow, which generally expands a bit when they get any type of moisture, proper technique in trying to dislodge the object, even partially, would have been imperative. Also, there was question regarding the overall response time of the help. The call was over 12 minutes, as I mentioned. Paramedics were dispatched from a station that was only three miles away. At that time of the night when the call was placed, chances are the personnel at the station were likely sleeping, as most fire departments across America work a 24-hour shift. That does take a bit of extra time to get to the ambulance. Fire department officials there stated they made it to the scene in about six and a half minutes. That likely doesn't account for the two to four minutes before the units actually were en route. But one of the other reasons for the delay, the house where this happened on is in a very hard to find location. It was on an unmarked road off the closest street. At one time, Brent had made a homemade sign that he attached to a tree to help find the road, but a hurricane that came through the area knocked it off. When he heard Brent start screaming in the call, I believe crews were passing his unmarked road without knowing where it was. There was another criticism from the dispatcher for not attempting to get further details on the house. I'm not sure what their policy on that is. Some might say it's a caller's responsibility of relaying that info if they know they live in a hard-to-find location. It's hard to say which would be correct, if not a combination of both. The dispatcher was found by her agency to have handled the call incorrectly. Even with that, she was put back on the dispatch floor to continue answering calls but ended up resigning later in the year in December. 
the official autopsy report listed the cause of death as accidental choking. It also said that she was intoxicated. No foul play was suspected. Could things have been done differently? Yes. Would it have helped? That's a question that we will likely never know for sure. Actress Katherine Heigl, a passionate animal advocate who has saved over 16,000 dogs, says she's been seeing more issues with dogs' joints, odors, and health than ever before. She believes there's a link between canine health and diet. After extensive research, she developed Superfood Complete, a dog food pack with over 30 wholesome ingredients, including superfoods beneficial for your furry friend. Superfood Complete isn't just about deliciousness, though dogs love the taste. It's about supporting overall well-being. In addition to providing a healthy option for your pet, Badlands Ranch, the maker of Superfood Complete, also supports the Jason DeBus Heigl Foundation, which helps rescue countless dogs and find them loving homes. Dogs across America are trying this food and loving it. Go to BadlandsRanch.com MC901 and order right now to get up to 50% off your regular priced order with a 90-day money-back guarantee. If you want your dog to experience all these incredible things, go to BADLANDSRanch.com slash MC911 today. On the next incident, you'll hear some background timestamps that, for the life of me, I don't know why they would leave inside the calls. Just try your best to listen around it. There was just no way I could remove that from the calls, unfortunately. On the exit of Biscayne coming from the beach, um, there's a guy that's completely naked, threw his clothes all over the highway. He's on the expressway, he's on the street. He's on the expressway on top of one of the lights on one of the light holding onto one of the light poles and doing like he was Tarzan. And where is this at? Um, when you're coming from the beach in the MacArthur Causeway where the cruise ships are, it's the exit for the Miami Herald, that Biscayne Boulevard exit. So it's heading east from the beach coming. No, I'm sorry, heading 13, west. 16, okay, let me get someone to take information. I'm so sorry for calling 911. Hold on. Let I'm me get someone to take I was just coming from the, the beach, from South Beach on MacArthur Causeway, and on the exit, heading west, on the exit of Biscayne, there's a tall um, African-American man, completely naked, on one of the light poles, acting like Tarzan, Saturday, and all his, all his clothes on the highway. Hold on for Florida Highway Patrol, okay? Thank you. I'm so sorry. Hold on. Hold on. You have reached the Florida Highway Patrol, Miami Regional Community. Well, Charles, what can I help you? Yes, good, good, good afternoon. I was just coming off the beach on the MacArthur Causeway where the cruise ships are. And there's an African American man. When you're heading west, there's an African American man on the exit of Biscayne, um, completely naked, um, acting like Tarzan on one of the light poles. And all his clothes is on 395. Okay, hold on one minute. You said on 395 in Biscayne, correct? 
Yeah, that's the one with the cruise ships, right? Yeah, 395. And it's westbound. It's westbound, right. The Miami Herald will be. Then there was someone else that called regarding the same thing. 12, 13, 54, and 52 uh, seconds. Over the exit bridge, um, the Crossing Carsway Bridge coming back to Miami. You went over the bridge? You over what bridge? Over the bridge right off of this game. Yeah, because you're so There's a guy standing, literally, and he's naked. Make this a jaybird. 13, right 50, five and bridge. 30 seconds. Well, which bridge is this? Uh, never mind, my brother's taking care of it. Oh, all right. That is something, admittedly, people don't see every day. It's certainly not a normal thing to see a completely naked man walking around, let alone, as one of the callers said, acting like Tarzan on a light pole while naked. Believe it or not, in my dispatch center, we get some sort of call involving a nude person in public almost every day. So it, again, isn't that much of a big thing. Before I talk about what makes this incident unique, I have a couple more short calls related to it. Saturday, May 26, 2012, 14, 04, and 25 seconds. There's a naked man on the MacArthur Causeway at the end of the causeway coming towards this chain boulevard. He is beating another man to a pulp, like on top of the man, beating him. The man is bleeding. Uh, the, somebody, somebody's beating on him? They, they got that he's been beaten? I, I'm, I'm a bus rider. I passed by and I saw what was happening. Oh, I no, pulled no, no, over. I'm, talking my, I'm not talking to my dispatcher. Okay. Okay, so Wait. it's on a... Okay, this is, he's been beaten, you said? Saturday, May 26, 2012, another man. It's a naked man. Beating another man. I'm beating him. Yeah, on the MacArthur Causeway, like towards the Miami Hill, it's at the end of the Causeway, but he's going to kill that okay. man. I promise you. Okay. Okay? Thank okay, you. Okay, ma'am. You're welcome. Fighting with each other? 
they, they almost knocked over an old lady who was biking by. Mm-hmm. You say they were in the street? In the bike path or pedestrian walkway that crosses the MacArthur Causeway. Mm-hmm. Clearly visible from Northeast 13th Street and North Bayshore Drive. Okay. Saturday, May 26, right. 2012, okay, 14, no. 10, and okay, thank you, sir. 10, you think? I don't believe they did. Okay, sir. Thank you. The calls went from just some guy that was we get calls regarding that multiple times a day. What doesn't happen is what takes place after these callers hang up the phone. And in this case, it made international news that you may have heard about. Once police arrived on the scene when this happened back in 2012, they found the naked man, 31-year-old Rudy Eugene, on top of the other individual, a 65-year-old homeless man by the name of Ronald Popo. The naked man wasn't beating on the other man anymore. He was eating him. The attack happened in the Miami Beach area in Florida. The attacker, Rudy, after ditching his car, possibly from it breaking down, began walking across the three-mile-long bridge over the MacArthur Causeway. On the way across, he started stripping his clothes off. Once he found the victim, he talked with him for a few minutes, but then accused him of stealing his Bible and started hitting him. While the victim was trying to get away, the suspect started to try to pick out his eyes. He continued striking him over and over until he was unconscious. He then removed the victim's pants before starting to eat his face above his beard. When police got there, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. After ordering Rudy to stop, he growled at the officer and continued biting the victim. The officer ended up shooting him once, and that didn't stop him. He then shot him four more times, at that point killing the suspect. It was believed that he was under the influence of a psychedelic-type drug. Some speculated bath salts, but the only identifiable drug in his system was marijuana. It's possible the tests available at the time weren't able to single out that type of drug that he was on. The autopsy also found that no parts of the victim was in the stomach of the suspect. So, while he was biting the victim, he wasn't swallowing any part of him. He had previously been arrested eight times since he was 16 years old, some for marijuana charges, but also a bit of violence. He was also married for three years, but his wife cited domestic violence as her reason for a divorce. The victim suffered incredible injuries. 75 to 80% of his face above his beard was missing, and he was completely unrecognizable after the attack. One of his eyes was completely ripped or bitten from his head, and the other was mangled so badly that he was left completely blind. He endured months of facial reconstruction surgeries and is going to live the rest of his life permanently disfigured. He had been homeless for a long time. His family hadn't heard from him at all in over 30 years. They actually believed that he was dead. Because of his injuries and his homelessness, 
he was asked to remain in a Medicaid facility for the rest of his life. From what I can tell, he still lives there today. The last call I'll talk about, it's a bit of a longer call at around nine minutes, and it has a lot of silent bits in the area of talking back and forth with the dispatcher, but I promise you'll never be able to imagine what happened and will want to stick around to hear about it.
<laughs> we just hit on the right. Um, we're, we're right the center of her. You want the side way up? You're right beside where? Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. Where are you at now? We're we're on the 52. We're passing. We're passing the Krispy Kreme and like the 95, and we're still on the 52. <laughs> but there's a lot of traffic, and here's driving crazy. I can't try to get away. I don't know what he did to my boyfriend. Okay. Right. I really Stay don't. Stay on the phone with me, okay? We got officers on, on the way, okay? <laughs> but I don't know. Like, I know I should have voluntarily hopped in the back of the truck, but I couldn't let him get away with whatever whatever happens right now. Like, I don't even know what's going on.
pretty hard to understand what was happening there during the call. You could probably hear that the caller was in the back of a truck that was moving. You may have been able to pick up some other pieces of information over the wind and road noise. How this all started, the caller was at a trailer with her boyfriend in the Country Squire Mobile Home Park on East Palmetto Street in Florence County, South Carolina. Another man was also there by the name of Caleb Felkel, who was 22 years old. A verbal altercation broke out between the two men, and during it, Caleb pulled out a gun and shot the boyfriend in the chest, killing him. After that, Caleb then ran to a pickup truck parked outside and started to flee the scene. Before he could get away, the victim's girlfriend, the caller, decided she would get into the back of the truck so Caleb couldn't get away. She called 911 from the back of the killer's pickup truck, as he was making his getaway. Towards the end of the call, you can sort of tell what was happening that the police had called up to the truck. The suspect wouldn't pull over, and a pursuit started up that reached speeds of 75 miles per hour and went 25 miles into the neighboring Darlington County. He crashed the truck, and then police took him into custody. The caller was only slightly injured. This happened on March 30th of this year. Caleb has a violent past, stabbing a family member and was charged with attempted murder for that, but a plea deal was reached for a lesser charge and he was sentenced to only the time he served, which was 441 days. For this incident, he's been charged with murder and possession of a weapon during a violent crime. He's currently being held without bond and could face over 20 years in prison. 
While the caller may have helped in catching the suspect a little bit more quickly, she put herself at great risk with her decision of jumping into the back of a truck of a person who had just killed someone else. While I hope none of you listening ever have to witness a murder, if you do, please take my advice and don't jump into a getaway vehicle with a murderer. That's it for this one. Be sure to like and subscribe to the show if you haven't done so already. If you're an Apple user, hit the follow button so you'll know when the next episode comes out. I'd appreciate you giving me a five-star rating and review on whatever podcast app you're listening on. And if you'd like to discuss any of the cases on this episode, head over to the discussion group on Facebook. I'll be there. With the types of calls we've had on this one, I'm sure people are going to want to talk about it more. If you'd like to further support the show, head over to patreon.com slash musiccity901 for ad-free and bonus episodes, or if you like, you can buy me a beer. This old country boy gets thirsty at times, and with the weather getting warmer during the spring, a beer can really hit the spot. Look on the show's website, musiccity901.com, towards the bottom of the page for the buy me a beer button. It's simply a one-time single donation you can make to help quench my thirst for the cold one. I'd also like to thank everyone for listening. It really does mean the world to me that y'all enjoy the show like you do. Until next time, for Music City 911, I'm Brandon, and y'all have a good one.